Well, welcome, 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 welcome. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, it's an honor. It's a privilege for you to be here. I want to meet you, shake your hand, get to know you after service. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. That's where we're at. We started a new book of the Bible at the beginning of the year, 1 Corinthians. Uh, the, first, the Corinthians are wild. This, they're a wild church. Like, they're wilding out. Like, that, they're the church gone wild. That's really what they are. They're getting drunk at communion. Like, that's just a crazy church. They're, they're getting drunk at communion. They're struggling with sexuality. They're perverted. Uh, they're, they're just crazy. They really, really, really are. Like, the, there's a guy who has a stepmom, and he's sleeping with her. And it's just weird and just weird. The guys won't stop speaking in tongues uh, so loud that people can't even understand church. Uh, they had vegetarian problem. You know, that's weird. You know, they, they had guys. But then the meat lovers were sacrificing them to, the, the meat to idols. Wild. Wild, wild. And there's only about 50 to 80 people. The movement hasn't started. The movement's just beginning, and it's getting wild, and it's getting crazy. So we are in this great book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, it's our gift to you. Take it, keep it, read it. It will be on the screens. But uh, this church, wild church, um, a lot going on. And so it's likely that uh, this church had so many questions, they wrote the, the, the founding pastor, uh, the Apostle Paul. They wrote him a bunch of, uh, they, what's going on here? Hey, we have some questions, we need you to answer. We don't know the questions that they're asking, we just see the answers. Paul's just writing letters to them, answering hot topic hot button issues. And so uh, some people are like, you know, in our day, uh, we want to get back to the first century church. Can we just get back to first century church? Well, here you go. Here's what they're dealing with. Weird stuff going on in the church, gender issues, identity issues, sexuality, perversion. You know, we're here. We've made it. America, we're back at first century. Congratulations. Like there, here's we go. Here we go. And this is what God's word says. And see, you, you would think that the people in, in Corinth were, were um, if, you, if you don't know your history, right, you think that these people are just, oh, Paul, we love what you say, everything you say, we agree with you, we agree. No, they didn't. Everything he's saying, it's likely they didn't agree with. He's saying, guys, this is what God says. This is what God says. So next week, we're going to see that he's going to start addressing some major divisions and some of these major issues. But today, he's got to root everything and ground everything in the essentials, and the most essential things, the most important things. And so the big idea today is that uh, we're helpless if God doesn't show up. Take an amen. Like, is that right? Like, have you ever experienced that in your life? Like, we are helpless unless God shows up. God's got to show up. And so first thing we look at is we're going to look at the preaching ministry, and God's got to show up in preaching. So, you know, I need him to show up today. And so verse 1 of chapter 2, he says this, and I... When it came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he's saying, when I came to you, uh, I didn't come to you with great eloquence. I didn't come to you with, like, fancy words. I didn't come to you rolling in here with, like, you know, I was the, you know, just the, the, the guy, the, the scholar, the excellent, you know, spokesperson. The great thing about it is Paul was educated, educated more than probably most people who wrote books of the Bible. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was very studied in the, in the, the Hebrew text. He was a, he was a scholar in, in his own right. But he didn't come preaching with lofty speech or worldly wisdom is what he says. 
And so last week, we, we saw, if you'll remember uh, a little bit, um, that there's two camps. There's these two camps that he's speaking to. Uh, the one group that just wants to see signs and wonders. They want to see, they want to have the experience. They are those who are just coming for experience, and that's all they want. And so when people are going wild, the communion table, everyone's getting drunk, they're kind of like, this is an experience. I'll go back to that church. That's what they <laughs> were looking for. Uh, then you have this other group who just wanted wisdom. They had degrees. They went to college, they were educated, they were studied in the, the, the Greek philosophers, you know, Aristotle, Plato, you know, they, they're just read, they're just, they just know their stuff and they want to understand everything. Tell me about God. Let me understand God. I can understand him. Like I, that, that, they just wanted to understand. Some people just wanted to, let's give, get me to the miracles. That's what I want. I want miracles. And then I just want to understand. Just give me wisdom. That's all we want. And, and Paul says, hey, uh, to, the, to both groups, both non-Christian groups, Jesus became a stumbling block to one group and a fool to the other group because that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God's got to do something. It's supernatural, and that's what he's getting at here. He didn't come preaching ministry, preaching God, the, the word of God. He says proclaiming, which is preaching. Preaching God's word, will, and ways needs the, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the third member of the Trinity, to bless it. He needs, it, it's not about wisdom, worldly wisdom, or making things make so much sense that everyone, you know, like we all, it makes so much sense. Like God's got to demonstrate, his, his, he's got to reveal to us uh, through power. So what, what I mean by that is if, if it's going to make sense that God's got to show up. If it's going to make sense to us, God's got to show up. If it's going to change our hearts and change our minds and change our life, like God's got to show up. And he says he didn't come with eloquent words or speech. And this is why uh, the, the great theologian or great pastor, uh, early uh, uh, English uh, first megachurch in, in England, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the British Baptist pastor, he, he preached what was called the plowman's English, everyday English. Plowman, the guys working on the field, blue-collared English. So when we preach, we want to explain things. We want to make sure everyone can understand we don't, it's not about, yes, I, I can nerd out with the best of them. I love, you know, big words. I can almost spell propitiation. Like it's, it's you know, we're almost there and I like that stuff. But, you know, we, he says that he didn't come saying all the big words. He didn't. He spoke in the, in the New Testament, it's actually written in the everyday man's Greek. There's classical Greek, and then there's like the blue-collar Greek. The New Testament, God chose to write the Bible in a language that the first century where everyone could read it. That's what, because he wants everyone to understand him. He wants, he wants us to know him. And so this is what preaching is. It's, it's telling God's people, God's word, will, and ways. It's like, hey, this is it. This is what God says. And you're to explain it such a way people understand so that they can obey God, they can love God, and they can worship God. So it's to be intelligible understand. So Paul's like, I'm, I'm preaching to the blue collar workers in the room. Like I need everyone to understand. It does, yeah, we like degrees. We like knowledge. We like information, but we want to preach in such a way that the kids understand the, 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 the guys with no degrees, the illiterate, anyone can understand because the gospel is for everyone, everyone. And so we want, we don't, we want to speak in such a way everyone can understand. And so what can happen oftentimes, especially in our day and age, uh, with, with, with certain theological groups and some guys, you know, especially in, I would even say our camp, uh, if we have, if you're like, what camp is that? Like, I don't know. The camp, that's what I'm calling it. The, the type of people who are like, man, we like, we like information. We're smart. We want to know information. So what can happen is uh, these beta male guys can, they can like just, 
you know, they want to run off all the alphas. They want to run them off. Ah, propitiation and, and justification. And they want to talk about all the eloquence. And you know, they just want to be smarter than everybody. You ever met a guy like that? He just wants to show how he's smarter than you? How many people want to be around the guy who thinks he's smarter than you? Or girl, anyone. No one wants to. It happens in churches all the time. And so the point here is it's not about the preacher. It's not about a personality. It's about Jesus. And Paul's trying to get them to understand Jesus. And so he's like, I got to preach in such a way everyone can understand. That means I got to explain the big words, not using such eloquence. If I'm going to use them, I'm going to explain them. So that's his point here. Preaching must be intelligible. Preaching is heralding God's word, will, and ways. It's telling us what God says, and it doesn't need to be with lofty speech or eloquent wisdom. That's what it is. That's what preaching, that's how it should be. In verse 2, he says, then I decided to know nothing among you. Like, I, I, I know a lot of things, is what Paul's saying. I, I, I know a lot. But I've decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. Jesus and him crucified. Like, that's what he resolved to know. Nothing else. Like, I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm going to preach him crucified in our place for our sins, for the, the, for the forgiveness of sins, for the f- salvation of souls, to give you new life, to adopt you into the family, to make you part of the king's family. Like, Jesus did that for you. And so he's like, that's what I'm, I'm there to preach. And we, we've talked about it at length before. That's where the power is. Romans 1.16 says the, that the gospel itself, the person and work, life, ministry, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is where the power is. It's not you plus the gospel. It's nothing else plus the gospel. It's simply the raw, stripped down gospel. Straight, no chaser. That's what it is. The gospel, it saves. That's what saves. It's where the power's at. So we can water down the power source with eloquence and, and, and not explaining things and not, you know, being centered around Jesus. When we're not centered around Jesus, we empty the gospel of its power. Why? Because the, the whole Old Testament was about Jesus. Jesus says it was. When they asked him what it was about, he said it was about, it was about him. The whole Old Testament was about Jesus. So Genesis, Exodus, and in all the books about Jesus. The gospels were about, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about Jesus, his life, and his ministry. Acts, the rest of the New Testament, is about what happened after Jesus showed up and changed human history. The whole Bible, the whole book, is about Jesus. So if preaching doesn't go back to being centered around Jesus, then it's not preaching. It's talking. Maybe loud talking, but it's not preaching. So I'm I'm telling you, if preaching is not centered around Jesus, it's not preaching. It's, it, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you but Christ, him crucified. It's the, that's where the power is. It's not philosophy. It's not trendy. It's not, help, it's not self-help. It helps you, but that's not, it's not the wisdom of the day. It's, it's just old school, you know, prophetic, old, you know, Bible preaching, like Old Testament prophet coming up and saying, hey, this is what God said. You got to obey. That's what it is. And so this can make preachers kind of insecure. Think about it. You're going up to tell people that you may or may not know, like, hey, this is what God says. This is what God says, and like, hey, we can't negotiate with him. He's not in negotiating. Like, he doesn't sit around and go, oh, you believe different. So let's go back and let's edit and change. He, this is just what God says. He, we are the created beings. He, he created us, and he's, he created us a certain way, and we rebelled against him. He's showing up trying to rescue us and saying, hey, that's not how I created you. And we're arguing with him. Like, no, you, no, you didn't. I don't like the way you did that, God. Like, that's what we do. That's what humanity does and has been doing. 
The whole Old Testament tells us of that. The New Testament is a reminder of that. Paul's writing to a group of people who are like, that's exactly what they're doing. Like, God, we don't agree with that. And so this guy, got, you know, the preacher guy has to get up and he has to tell them, hey, this is what God says. On top of that, in, in Paul's day, in, in the whole Old Testament, and then, you know, in Paul's day, uh, guess what happened to the preachers? They got killed. What if that was your job? You had a job and like you knew, hey, I just got a new job, mom and dad. I just graduated college, got a new job. What is it? Well, it's the most likely to get killed job in the history of the world right now, preaching. They're just lighting us up like candles left and right. Like, that's what they were doing in the, in the first century. And so Paul is, is, he's nervous, he's insecure. He's rolling into Corinth where it's not a Christian nation. He's gonna preach. They're gonna try to get stones and hit him. They're gonna do a lot. This is what happens to, to Paul when he shows up in Corinth. He's shipwrecked a bunch of times. He's beaten with rods. There's, he just, his life is just hard. Why? Because he became a Christian and God called him to preach. And if you don't know Paul's story, he wasn't always a Christian. He was once a Christian killer. So he knows what they could do to Christians. Like that was his job prior. Like his resume was Christian killer and then Christian who got killed for Christ. Like that's it. That's his story. And so Paul, is, is he understands the, the risk. He understands he's going to, uh, to, to people who need to know about the God who loves them, who wants to rescue them, who wants to redeem them, who's already died in their place for their sins, wants to give them a new life, give them hope, salvation. And he knows that, that they may not like it and it may cause him harm. And so preachers can be insecure, frail, scared, nervous. That's why he says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Like you read the Apostle Paul, right? You read him and you go, this guy, he seems to be pretty bold, right? You read it and you're like, this guy, you read his, man, this guy, he gets beat and then he goes back into the city and preaches again. You're like, I thought that was a sign they didn't want you there. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why I should go back because God loves them. They may not want me, but God wants them. God's after them. So he's just relentlessly pursuing people, planting churches because he loves Jesus, and he wants other people to meet Jesus, have their lives changed. So he's willing to, 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 to risk his life. And so he, he's, he, he has great confidence in Christ, but that doesn't mean he's not nervous. Doesn't mean he's not insecure. Doesn't mean he's, he literally says he was weak in weakness and fear and much trembling. Dude's nervous, he's shaking. He's like, that guy didn't make sense sometimes. He's like, yeah, I know. I didn't come trying to make sense. I tried to preach to you, I got nervous, forgot my notes, forgot some things said some things wrong, I miss, misspoke, I was stuttering. It just didn't, it wasn't a great sermon. There's one time he was preaching and a, and a dude fell asleep and fell out the window and died. Like the dude put a guy to sleep in his preaching. I've done that before, but I've never had someone die. That's wild. He's like, man, well, and then he heals him. Just wild, this is his life, this is his ministry. And so, he, he says this because it, it, he, 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 he's, we've got to see that he didn't, he says in verse 4, I, my, my speech was, while I was nervous, trembling, you know, stuttering weakness, he says, my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. I didn't come like a, you know, a, a philosopher. I didn't come like the great, you know, Greek philosophers to you, you know, giving you these eloquent wisdom. But, but I came in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. That's what he came doing. He says, why? So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's why he's doing it. 
That, is, that our faith may rest not in, in, our own, in our own effort. So that you might not say, hey, I heard a good sermon. Everything is so clear. It makes sense. We love that guy. Good preacher. Clap, clap, clap. We love him. And I'm saved because, you know, of that guy. See, we live in a country, in a world that that's what they do. So when the guy that gets, you know, they get saved from the preacher, you know, who, who, they, who they love, the mega preacher that they like, and then that guy, you know, uh, you know, sins or, you know, some of the things that come out, you know, publicly, you're like, man, those people leave the faith because their faith was not in Jesus. It was in a person. Every person deconstructing their faith because one Christian pastor acted like a sinner, which they are, and they're just like, oh, man, I, I, I'm so confused now. Well, yeah, you're confused because your faith was not in, in Jesus. It was in the person. Well, they're doing the same thing in Corinth. We saw in chapter one, some have team Paul, Apollos, some team Paul, some team Cephas. Like they have three teams. And then they have the weirdos who are like, we are team Jesus, which they weren't. It was just, it was like they were trying to be better than everybody. They had all these people divided, 50 to 80 people divided with different t-shirts, different teams. And then when that man lets them down, they're gonna, their faith's gonna be let down. Paul's like, I don't want any of that. Your faith cannot rest in man. And church, you need to hear this. Your faith in here today, if it rests in man, exchange it for true faith today. May it, may it, may it rest in one man. His name's Jesus, who's all, who was sinless, who loved you in your sin, sought to save you in your rebellion, gave up his life in exchange for yours. Like you should have been there, but he took your spot. He took your imperfection your failures, your addictions, your shortcomings, all of it, said, I want that man, want that woman in my life, and I'll pay for them to be in my life, in my family, with my life. All their sin forgiven, all their guilt taken care of. I will stand the gap for them. And he did. And if the, for the folks that were wondering if he was legit, after being killed in our place for our sins, he rose from the dead victoriously, conquering Satan, sin, death, and the grave. And he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, where he's going to come back to bring his people home, and then he will judge the living and the dead. That's the truth. And so if your faith is resting in man, if your, your faith is rest, resting in just eloquent speech or wisdom, or man, you heard a good sermon and that makes so much sense. Like if, it's, if your faith is resting in anything other than the person and work of Jesus, it's not faith, it, it's false. It's false faith. You must exchange it and trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. That's the big point. Paul's like, it doesn't matter my words. I want you to know Jesus so that your faith would rest in him and not me. That's the point. And that's what he's saying. And so what we must understand here this, and some of you are going to get, you know, let me explain what I'm about to say before you, you, you disregard it. But salvation is not rational. Salvation isn't rational. Some of you are like, yeah, I believe it. I think it's rational to me. It makes sense to me. Yeah, because you're a Christian. You're saved. It wasn't before you were a Christian. It wasn't. Talked about last week, there's two groups. Ones that say Christianity, when they hear it, is a fool, it's foolishness. Some of you, that's your story, though. Man, you, you heard about Jesus. You heard about salvation. You heard about it all. You saw some clowns that you called Christians, and you're like, man, I don't want anything to do with that. They're nerds. They're jokes. They're not even cool. Like, I don't want anything to do with Christians. They're nerdy. They, they, they're just not fun. They're not fun. They're not fun to be around. Like, some of you, that's what you thought Christians were. It's just, and some of you are, like, real offended by that, a Christian's being called that. Don't be. It's just, embrace it. Like, that's what you saw. You're like, I don't want to be those guys. I don't want to hang around them. I don't want the, anything to do with that. 
And now you're a Christian. You're like, man, God got me. I was trying not to be, and he got me. Like, I tried to not believe, but he changed my heart. He changed my mind. He did. You know why? So that you wouldn't trust in the power of men, but in the power of God. He made you choose, like he, he made you believe something you thought was the dumbest thing. And now you have faith. Like God gave it to you. He granted it. And so what, that's what I mean by salvation isn't rational. You can't just ascend to it intellectually. Like it makes sense. Some people try to do this. And so you'll get the Jordan Petersons and all your YouTube friends. And like they, they go like, oh, this guy makes so much sense. This is my favorite one. Jordan Peterson some, or something like that. I shouldn't quote. I don't know. I don't know where he's at right now. But say someone like that. That guy's close. That guy's close to being a Christian. He's so close. No, he's not. He's dead. He's equally as far from Jesus as the guy who's like murdering people and hates Jesus. The jihad guy, they're both just as far from God. No one's close. You're either dead or you're alive. It's not like your heart comes back and like, oh, you know, he's intellectually smart, so he gets three beats of his heart, and then he, you know, you know, flatlines again. If he does that five times, six times, maybe one day it'll be like ten heartbeats, and then all of a sudden he's alive. Like, no, it's not how it works. You're either dead or you're alive. You're either blind or you can see. That's the language of the scripture. No one's close. In the way that we're trying to speak of, God might be working. He might be changing. But I need you to understand, you're either dead or you're alive. Dead is dead and blind is blind. And so here's the reality is, in order for Christianity to make sense, in order for someone to truly put their faith in Jesus, a miracle must happen. So you hear people and go, well, I believe in Christianity. Well, I believe in the morals and it intellectually makes sense to me. And, 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 and according to Christian logic and Christian worldview, I could see how they understand this. And, and they ascend to it intellectually, but they're not saved. They're not saved. Or the other p- person who's like into the dark arts. They're the guys who are like, or the girls or whoever. Like, it's, it's new year, new me. Going to get the sage. I'm going to burn some incense. I'm going to do some Wicca. I'm going to walk. I'm going to do, do all the weird stuff. Like that's, I'm spiritual. Like let's do that. And, and, and then they, they get wrapped up in the demonic world and they start seeing things. And, you know, uh, uh, the first time, or well, not the first time, one of the times like, like you got, sometimes not everyone who's uh, possessed by demons wants to be free. And everyone's like, oh, man, you know, they, they, they probably do because they've experienced such a horrible life and whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, they're primed for the gospel. Yeah, I've met a lot of guys that don't want freedom from the darkness. They don't. Why? It's not an intellectual exercise. God's got to save them, open their eyes so that they could see. And when he does so, it, things make sense. So if, if you're here today and Christianity makes sense, then it's because God opened your blind eyes and gave you sight. I didn't know that was blue. I didn't know that was colors. I didn't know. I, I see them now. I need to learn what each color is. I need to understand like what a chair. I, I, I've, I've experienced it, but I now see it. I got a lot of figuring it out, but I see it now for the first time. That's salvation. And, it, and it, it's just like a blind person getting their sight. So Paul says, I've come proclaiming this. And the Holy Spirit he comes and he, he, he changes hearts. Next, he says, spiritual wisdom and Christian maturity. So some of you are at this point, you're like, these guys are not about wisdom. They don't like to learn. They don't like studying. Like, no, that's not what we're saying. He says it this way. Yet among the mature, there's some people, you know, that should, we impart wisdom. 
Christianity makes sense. Christianity makes sense. It, it makes sense, and, and, and it, it does to those who are, who are saved. When your, eyes, when, your, when, the heart, when your eyes are open and you see, it, it makes sense. Paul, the, the author of the book, it used to not make sense of his killing Christians. When Jesus saved him, literally, the scales of his eyes fell off and he believed, right? That's literally, it changed the trajectory of his life. Here's what I need you to know. When he's saying, like, to the mature, we impart wisdom, what he is saying is, like, man, once you become a Christian, now we can tell you how it works. Like, it doesn't make sense to you to explain everything. Like, we can try, and this is my whole thing with apologetics. I'm totally for them, but I think apologetics bears more fruit in strengthening the faith of Christians, than it does in, in converting the lost. I'm not saying there, I'm just saying that it, a lot of times apologetics helps the Christian understand things. And, and praise God, if people get saved through, through those conversations, awesome. But we must understand that it is not, it, it is miraculous. If someone believes, if it makes sense to someone and they place their faith in Jesus and they choose Jesus, it's not because uh, of their uh, the eloquent speech or wisdom or knowledge, it's because God changed them. That's why. And so Christianity makes sense. And as we read the Bible, we're going, oh, I, I, have you ever read the Bible as a non-Christian and then you read it as a Christian? You're going, man, that makes sense now. I didn't see that one before. Oh, in Genesis 1, in, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that, that they talk about Jesus coming. The seed of the woman, oh, that's Jesus. Crushed the serpent's head, that's Jesus. Satan, wow, you're just blown away, Right? It's awesome. And so as we read the Bible, we start understanding how it all works. That's maturity. That's wisdom. That's spiritual wisdom, Christian maturity. He says this, although it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. So it's not, of the, it's not wisdom of the world that you understand this. You don't read the Bible and take the wisdom of the world and then learn who God is. It's, it's God's wisdom imparted to us. What the Bible is, is God revealing himself to us. And so he says the rulers of this age, if you th in their time, it was the, the Jewish leadership, if they were, they were uh, uh, those who, who ruled the temple. Um, then you had the Roman government. So those are the, 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 the religious leaders were the Jewish leaders, the pagan uh, were the Roman empire. And then you had just general non-Christian leadership. He says, you know what? It's not their wisdom. They're actually doomed to pass away, he says. So he's saying, we don't look at the spiritual gurus. We're not looking to politicians. We're not looking to YouTube channels, influencers, whatever. We're looking to God in his word. That's what we look at. We're looking to God in his word. And, and Paul says in verse seven, that's what we're doing. We're imparting a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Paul's writing the Bible. He's, he's imparting the wisdom. We're not waiting for new wisdom, guys. Hebrews tells us it's been done. The wisdom, it's already come. Jesus, it, 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 is, it has come. The book has been sealed. When, when we hear of the Bible being canonized, what we mean is that it's been bound and the canon is a, a measuring rod. That's what we do. The Bible is what we measure everything by. This is the standard. The, the, the secrets have been revealed. And he says it's for us, for, for our glory. We should glorify in it. It's like it... The, the, the Corinthians would have loved to have the whole thing bound and leather and, you know, nice and rubbed on your face if it feels good. Like, you know, it bends. It's nice. They would love it. They would have eaten this up. They, they, God, it's word. We have them on shelves. We have dust. We disregard it. We don't care. 
This is God's word. He has spoken to us. He has imparted to us who he is. He's revealed himself, the God who made us. This isn't fictitious. This is real. I need you to see this. God loved you so much that he wrote to you to tell you about him. Everything you need to know for life and godliness is in the word of God. That's what God says about himself. He says the, the wisdom of this age, it's doomed to pass away. The wisdom of the world, the foolishness, foolishness of the world, it's gonna pass away. Jesus tells us, but one who does the will of God abides forever. We're told that. And so here's where, here's where we're at. He's imparting the secret wisdom. Now, what is the secret wisdom? He says it's, it's synonymous to the wisdom of God. It's not, it, it, it is, and it, he says it's been being revealed, God decreed before the ages. So before the world began, before there was let there be light, God had a plan. Plan A. Jesus wasn't plan B. So if you ever, someone ever told you like, God's plan A was the Garden of Eden and then, you know, mankind messed it up and so God had plan B. Eh, wrong. Not true. Not true. Acts 2.23, it's not going to be on the screens, but you can listen to it, says it this way, that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite, unchangeable plan and foreknowledge of God. That's what it says. That's what, the, that's what God is telling us. Hey, I, I had a plan to save a people, to redeem a people. And you're like, well, why did you make it that way? I don't know. Ask him one day when you get to heaven. But you got to believe in Jesus first. So like, yeah. There you go. You got to have faith. He's imparting this wisdom. And he says he's, he's begun revealing it before the ages. And so you see it in the garden. You see that this promise. You see a shadow of what is to come. When, when after Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, we see that, that they, they were in their shame, felt guilt. They hid from God, just like we do when we sin. We're aware of sin. We hide from God. God killed an animal in their place for their sin to clothe them and clothe them and clothe their, and cover their shame, just like foreshadowing what Jesus would do in our place for our sins on the cross. In the beginning, God is telling us the story. He's telling us the little details. He's not giving us the full plan. He's saying, hey, this is what it's going to be like. This is what grace is. I'm not going to kill you now. I'm actually going to kill the, kill the animal. Later, I'm going to kill the, my son in your place so you don't have to experience the wrath of God. I'm telling you this. And through the woman's seed, it will become the Savior. Then to Abraham, it's told the same thing, that through the offspring, singular, that there would be a, a Savior. We know that to be Jesus. God has been telling Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, this is just Genesis foretelling the coming of the person and work of our King and our Savior, Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's been, he's been unfolding this plan. That is the wisdom of God. It is in his wisdom to construct the world as he, had, as, he, as he did and allow for us to rebel against him so he could come rescue us so that we could see that he loves us even in our mess. He loves us even in our rebellion and he wants to save, redeem, transform and change and spend forever with us. He loves us. He's coming after us. We're the king's kids. That's awesome. And so the Bible is revealing this plan. He says this in verse 8. None of the rulers understood this. They don't understand this. Because if they did, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They knew who was walking around. If they understood that Jesus was God in the flesh, he was the, the one who, uh, who, who was foretold in, in the garden. He was the one who was foretold through Abraham. He is the one, Isaac, Jacob. He's the one who we, they've been waiting for. 
The, the God, the God man, Jesus, the one who was there at creation when they said, let us make man in our likeness and our image. They knew who was there. They wouldn't have killed him. He said, someone else would have, but they would have worshiped him. But they didn't. They did not worship him. The religious leaders, the scholars, the scribes, the people who had all the information killed him. That's the point you gotta see here. We're totally pro-education. Pro-education, pro-study, pro-nerding out, pro-commentaries, pro-reading, pro-footnotes. Like we're totally pro. We love, we love study. But stud, if, if our study is not used to the purpose of worshiping Jesus, we might become like the scribes and Pharisees. They studied. I mean, they had books of the Bible memorized. Books, whole, whole, whole books. Like memorized. They could tell you where Jesus was going to be born, prophesied. Like they know what chapter that's in. Like they knew it. Like their Awanas was great. Like their, you know, if you're a church here, they, they, they were good. They were great. And guess what they did? Kill Jesus. They didn't understand a thing. Why? Because their worship in their, or their study was, was their worship of themselves, not the worship of the God who made them. So this is what can happen. We can become so intellectually driven, and some of us are, and praise God, but if it's not used to the worship of Jesus, then we've missed it. If you're not worship, if the goal of worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus more, isn't the goal of your education and study, then eventually you will reject him like the, like the rulers of the day, like the scribes and Pharisees. They killed him. They memorized the books. They had the degrees. You still see this to this day, that you'll have people, smart, educated, scholarly folks who know what's, what God's word says, walking away from Jesus at this present moment because they're, they're more captivated by, the, the, by the, the, the wisdom of this age. Instead of submitting to God's word, will, and ways, they're going, oh, new philosophy, new way of doing everything. And they're just entranced by a, a, a wisdom that's doomed to pass away saying, instead of saying tethered to the tried and true word of God that never changes, that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just because someone has a lot of knowledge, just because you have a lot of information, doesn't mean you'll worship Jesus with it. And so... The point you got to see here is that our, our, we, we must study. We must seek spiritual wisdom. We must seek Christian maturity. We must do that. But we must do that to the, for the purpose of knowing, loving, and worshiping our God. Any other reason, we'll find our efforts futile and perhaps leading us astray. So here's what we, here's, here's what we're clear here. God had a plan, and his plan was Jesus. And that's what happened. And so he says this in verse seven, but we impart this wisdom, right? And he says, uh, it was decreed b before the ages for our glory. See, we should marvel at the gospel. This, this life, death, resurrection of Jesus, we should marvel at it. It's, it's for our glory. We should, be, it should, we should be gloriously enamored. We should be like Moses going up on the mountain, coming back down and just glowing, being transformed day to day, this is what should happen. And so what I need you to understand is that if you're mature in Christ, here's a test, litmus test for your spiritual maturity. The litmus test for your spiritual maturity is not the amount of Bible verses memorized, not the amount of, of, of theologians you could quote, not the amount of, of, of Bible application that, that you have in your teaching. The, the, the litmus test for spiritual maturity 
is marveling at the gospel. That's what it is. That's what it's for. You know that we're told in Colossians, I believe, that when Jesus comes back, the point, we're going to marvel at his return. Worship, awe. That's the point. So you can have a lot of information and not be very mature. You can be pretty spiritual. Or you, or you can have a lot of information but not be spiritually mature. And so what I need you to see this is that, that, that spiritual maturity is in direct correlation to the, uh, the, the, the love and affection of your, or the, do you worship Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? And what I'm not talking about is just emotion. Like, do you have great emotion? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is, is Jesus central in your life? The worship of Jesus, obeying his word, will, and ways. Jesus says, if you love me, if you have great affection for me, you'll keep my commandments. Do you long to, to be in the presence of God? Do you long to, to seek him in his word? Do you long to obey him? And you cry out like the psalmist. You're like, I can't do this. Help me. That's what the psalmist pray. So search your heart. Ask the spirit of God to search you. Give you, uh, if, if, you're, if, you, if you hear the gospel and you hear about Jesus and his life and crucified, that's what he says, I came teaching nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. If that's stale to you, ask God now to, to forgive you and then give you a new heart, to glory in it. The psalmist says, restore in me the joy of my salvation. We need God. That is the point. We are helpless. So if God doesn't show up, we're hopeless. Plead with him. He loves to answer those prayers. And bless that. Verse 7, it says he's imparting that for our glory so we can be glorified and we can glory in it. So we need the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to do something. That's what he says next. Holy Spirit in his word. Verse 10. These things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So everything he's saying, hey, didn't come again. Even the words he's writing, not through eloquent words or speech or wisdom of the world. It comes through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's why it's capitalized. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? So lowercase spirit. So you see the difference there? So the point he's making is, is uh, you can't read minds. How do you know God's mind? God, the, God's spirit knows what he's thinking. I can't look out and read your mind. Sometimes facial expressions tell me things, you know, but I'm, I'm, I can't be sure. So that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So we can't read minds. We can't discern emotions. Now, there is a supernatural spiritual gift called the gift of discernment, but it's a gift. It's not natural. What he's saying is naturally speaking, you can't know someone's thoughts. We're all in agreement there. You're like, I can't know your thoughts. Some of you, your marriages would be really helped by this point. Like your husbands, ladies, don't know what you're thinking unless you tell them. And husbands, your wife doesn't know what you're thinking unless you tell them. No one one has secret, you know, wisdom and can, you know, read your minds. He got real, he got tense there. So y'all can pray about that. Uh, That's what's going on. You can't read God's mind. So God must reveal himself. That's what he's saying. God must tell us what he wants us to know about him or we're helpless. So he's saying, so in order to know God, God must show up. God must reveal. God must speak. The Holy Spirit must intervene. And Paul's saying that's what he's doing. That's what he's done. That's what we're experiencing. So now he says this, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. 
that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So you became a Christian. When you, when you know, love, and trust Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, what happens is through faith, you get the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives in you. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus for his life, work, and ministry lives in anyone who believes in him. His Spirit is deposited in us. He now rules and reigns us. That's what it means. And so now that we have the Holy Spirit, we have access to God in relationship, but also in understanding. We can understand what God has said. It says this, we understand things that were freely given to us. Meaning, when you become a Christian, this is already blood-bought. The the Bible and understand, it's already blood-bought for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, it's free. This is what he's saying. God has given us his spirit. God has chosen to reveal himself to us. We were helpless. God came to rescue us. Jesus in our place for our sins on the cross. The Holy Spirit through faith, he's been given to us so that he could, can, we continue to learn, to know, to be led by, and to trust God. God has given himself to us. I need you to see this. Christmas time, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. He was there physically separated. Now God Spirit lives in us. This is awesome. This is why the promise when Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For Christians, it's true. He's with you always, even to the end of the age, because the Spirit lives in you. God has given himself to you. And so he says this, that, that God wants us to understand him. God's not a God who, want, who is just like, oh, I'm so distant, like you'll never understand me, you'll never, you can never know me, you can never have a relationship with me. God actually drew, all near, drew near to us, and so he wants us to understand his word well and ways. It's been freely given and available to his children. God is a father who adopts his children and says, hey, welcome to the kingdom. I know you've got a lot of questions. Let's start answering them. Here, first, I'm the king. I'm your father, new father, adopted. Any of you have ever been through the adoption process? You see this, like there's a, you go from not my son to now my son, not my daughter to now my daughter. That's us. If you're in Christ, you're now sons or daughters of God. So he wants you to, to know him. And so he, he's given you his spirit. And, and, and the Holy Spirit's job is to, to help us, uh, to, 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 his job is to bless or to empower God's word in these categories. The Holy Spirit, we're told in John 14, that Jesus tells us the Spirit is to bring to remembrance his teachings, the things that Jesus has taught through the scriptures. He's the Holy Spirit's to bring it to mind. That's why when you memorize scripture, when, when the Holy Spirit wants you to, you need it, he'll, he'll call it to mind. That's why we memorize scripture. Not to make ourselves look good, but so that the Holy Spirit has access to information that he can, he can call, we can call it a remembrance. In John 16, Jesus says that the, the Holy Spirit also convicts the heart so that we can repent of sin. We can continue to trust Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 3, later on, we'll find out that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He, he allows us to commune with God. Later, we'll find out that the Holy, Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church for the edification and building up of the church. In Romans 8, we see that the Holy Spirit helps us pray. Anyone struggle with prayer? Good thing you got, a, you got God's Spirit in you. Uh, he, we're told also in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit actually gives us salvation in life. The fact that we're living and breathing now and continuing is a work of God. Miraculous. And then in, in, in Galatians 5, it says that the, the Holy Spirit helps us bear fruit in growing maturity. We need the Holy Spirit to do the preaching as we just talked about in the first part, and then to grow in the Christian maturity and wisdom. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to do something. We cannot do it. 
We cannot. And so what he says is that the spirit, in verse 13, what we're doing, this work, this ministry, empowered by the spirit of God, we, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What he's saying is we're teaching the Bible because the, the Holy Spirit wrote the book. He did. I don't have time to, to go through every verse that says that, but it's called the sword of the spirit. It's also called, uh, we're, we're told that the, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. The Holy Spirit wrote the book, wrote the Bible. If you want to live by the spirit, live by the words of the spirit, which are bound in God's word. And so we need his spirit. He says, we're imparting to you. The, this, is not, this is not worldly wisdom. This is God's wisdom, God's revelation. That's what he's saying. And so this is not man's opinion. This is God's opinion. You're like, what does God think about this? I don't know. Read it. So I have a, I have a big problem when you start editing this because you're editing what God says. And what gives you the right to edit what God has written? None. Like, well, I don't agree with God. Tell us. Be honest. God's a big boy. He can handle it. Don't edit God's word. Admit that you struggle to believe it. Admit that you disagree. Admit that it doesn't make sense to you. Admit that, 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 that perhaps you're not the greatest being in all of human history. That everything doesn't revolve around you. Admit that maybe you're wrong and God's right and you need some help. We all do. That's what he's saying. That, that the, the book, the God's word, will, and ways, the, the Bible, we teach it. It's not an opinion. It's the measuring rod, which we measure everything by. It's not human wisdom, but we, we, human wisdom must submit to God's wisdom. It's taught by God, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit who empowered Jesus for his life and ministry. It's, 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 that's what it is. And it helps you interpret spiritual truths to those, he says, we, we interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, immediately here, here's what you gotta understand. Those who are spiritual, what does that mean? It means they're Christians. That's what he's meaning here. He's not meaning, we live in a day where everyone's spiritual. I believe in this spirit, that spirit. There's a lot of spirits. There's a lot of messages, a lot of sermons being preached, a lot of things online, on the TV, everywhere you go, there's a spirit. Everyone knows that. Everyone is like, we're spiritual people. That's not what he's saying. So that's you, welcome, we're glad you're here. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about those who are led by and dwelled by and empowered by, submitted to God the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. That's who he means by we impart wisdom to those who are spiritual. He's talking about people who know, love, and trust Jesus, who have the Spirit of God living in them and that are submitted to his word, will, and ways. That's what he's speaking to, those people. Then he's going to contrast here now to, to those who are, who are natural, not spiritual people. What he means is that, that doesn't mean that they can, they can, they might think they're spiritual. They might worship another spirit. They might go to another, you know, temple. They might have a lot of spirituality. The way he's using the term here, he's talking about Christians and non-Christians. He's not, he's not saying they're enemies. He's just saying there's a difference between the two. That's what he's trying to say. He's not drawing lines in order to pick a fight. He's drawing lines to make the point. And so the point is that Christians have the mind of Christ. It's our last point of the day. He says this, the natural person, so the, the, the one who's not spiritual, not submitted to God, the Holy Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly or foolishness to them. So right now we understand that, right? People, you're like, Non-Christians tend to think Christians are weird, crazy, foolish, 
We get it. He continues. He says, he is not even able to understand them, for they're spiritually discerned. He can't. I need us to see this. When you see someone who doesn't know, love, and trust Jesus, they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. Satan and demons are Jesus' enemy and therefore our enemies, but the people are not. They've been captured, however. They've been bound, however. They've been blinded to where they don't understand. It doesn't make sense to them. And they might even be used by the enemy to harm, to destroy, to deceive, to lie to, to disrupt Jesus, his people, and his church. And that's a real thing. But I need you to see that, that the individuals who may be enacting the works of the enemy are, are, are themselves captives like you once were. But God, being rich in mercy, has chose in Christ to come after you and save you. You were an enemy of God, and now you're a friend, a son, a daughter. The individuals in this life that we encounter that, that do not, that are, quote, natural people, they're not able to accept the things of the Spirit. They, they think what we believe is foolishness and folly. They call us narrow-minded, bigoted, hate speech, you know, you know all that stuff. You need to know they, they don't know what they don't know. It's like describing colors to a blind person. You don't really, like you, eventually you're going, I, I feel bad for trying to do this. I feel like a jerk. It's just, it's just how it is. You're like, man, they don't understand. They don't see. And so what we do is we need, we need to preach the gospel, love people in such a way, and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to open their blind eyes to give them sight so they see and believe. Or else they're captive. To break their chains so that they can walk in the freeness, freedom and newness of life. To make them alive like, so that they can become sons and daughters of God. And we do that through the preaching of the gospel. This, this is what he's saying. So what he's saying is, it's not, I need us to see, it's not a, a, a intellectual exercise. They're not able to even ascend to it. They're not able to understand because they're spiritually discerned, spiritually blind, dead in their trespasses and sins. And so this should help us when you, see, when you hear folks who are not Christians, you know, call you what, you know, like, oh, you're a narrow-minded, bigoted, you know, hate speech, blah, blah, blah. You know, you just hear all this stuff. And you're like, man, no, I'm not. And you're like, you feel like you have to defend yourself. No, I'm a really nice guy. I love, you know, that's not. It's, and so what Christians end up doing if they're not rooted in God's word is they change their theology to accommodate for the world. Instead of going like, you know what? I would never close my eyes and walk around because a person's blind. I want to help them see. You would never, and, and I love blind people, you know, like, but you wouldn't go like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry you're blind, so for the rest of my life, I'm going to gouge up my eyes and smash into walls. You're not. That's what you would do. They, 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 they understand it better than you. You don't do that. You, go, you help them. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I help lead you? How can I help guide you? This is awful. I wish you weren't blind, but I, if I could give you sight, I would. Like, that's what you would do. So to the non-Christian, you're looking at them going, hey, I, I want you to know this. I know you think I'm foolish. It's a folly. It's, fo it's folly. Like, you're, you're crazy. Christians are nerds and weirds and weirdos and I don't, dorks. I don't want to be around them, and that's who they are. And you're like, I get that, that you see that, but I want, let me help you. 
Let me guide you. Let me tell you about who this God who knows, loves, and, and cares for you, died for you, in your place for your sins. You're like, oh, I hate you. Get away from me. Like, okay, I'll get away from you, but I want to help you. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I'm not going to change God. I'm not going to change God's word. I'm not going to change my position, but I want to help you see. And so then what that leads you to do is start praying, begging God, God, you got to do something. I can't, I can't convince them. They're not, they don't, it's not making sense to them. And all of a sudden you start praying and praying and, and you're longing for them to come to, to see what you see, just like it's impossible for you to cause a blind person to have sight in your own power. You cannot cause a non-Christian to become a Christian in your own power. And it, and it demands and it begs you to depend on the mercy and grace of Jesus. And so he says that the, he, it, it's folly to them. And then he says this in verse 15, the spiritual person, they, they, judge, they judge things uh, or uh, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is not judged by anyone. What he's saying here is that he's talking about the reality that non-Christians are going to judge you. And so he's not saying that we don't judge. He's, he's going to say, and what he means by this is later he's going to talk about, you got to judge disobedience. You got to do some church discipline. What he's saying here, he's talking about being judged or condemned according to the world's standards. Non-Christians are not condemned according to the world's standards. And so what he's saying in verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but you have the mind of Christ. I know what's gonna be crazy, church. I know people are gonna dislike you. I know that they're gonna be against you. They may think you're crazy. They may think you're foolish. And as you're, you're loving people, as you're serving people, as you're, as you're pleading with them to believe, put your, keep your head on straight. Don't deviate from God's word. Keep your head on straight. You have the mind of Christ. Think like it. Act like it. Stop thinking that you're not like a, the wisdom of the world. You have the mind of Christ who's reminding them. Keep your head screwed on, church. Don't be thinking crazy things that are outside of God's word will and ways. He's revealed himself. Trust him. Obey him. Even if it doesn't look like it's working, keep doing it. Even if they think, call you a fool, trust him. Examine yourself. Walk according to God's word, will, and ways. Study so that you know Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus. Don't depart from him. You need the Holy Spirit. Keep going. Stand firm. You have the mind of Christ, church. That's what he's saying. So the way we're going to respond. That's what we got to do now. You got to respond. Word of God's been proclaimed. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to respond in such a way where you're like, man, that's foolish, that's folly. Walk away hardened. Or are you going to surrender and go, man, I don't know everything, but God, you do. My first step is I'm gonna, I want to I wanna trust you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to worship you. I want to obey you. I want to give you my life. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to do that. If you are a Christian, we invite you to keep doing that. Jesus, here's my mind. Here's my study. Here's... Here, here, when I here, use it to help me know you, help me love you. And if you're a person in here who's like, I don't study, start. Open up God's word. He wrote it to you. He wants you to know him and love him. If you have any other relationship in your life and you don't ever talk to them through, and you don't ever learn anything about them, that relationship will fall apart. Pray to God. That's communication to him. Read his word. Get to know him. That's our response. So we're going to respond. We're going to help you respond by doing a few things. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and, and be in awe and worship. That's what we're doing as we eat and drink. Worship Jesus. Then we're going to stand. We're going to sing. But you're not singing to please anyone in here. You're singing and out of worship for Jesus. 
And later we're gonna have an opportunity to give and you're giving out of worship for Jesus. And then later you're gonna be driving your car, going home and you're gonna do so in a posture and live your life centered around the worship of Jesus. That doesn't mean just singing songs. It means ordering your life according to God's word, will and ways, not the wisdom of the world, for that's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, we order it according to the power of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a good God and King, and we worship you. Lord, help us to worship you fully, more, more, more rightly in spirit and truth, with our heart, mind, and strength. May we love our neighbors. May we care for people. May we submit to you. May we see that you love us, and you're coming after us, and you've rescued, redeemed us. And like our enemies, they're not people, but they're held captive. We just want them to know you. We want them, like you saved us. We, we were hell-bent on our own destruction, and you came in and rescued us. And we have the grace to, to share that good news and hope with others. Not be offended when they dislike us, they call us fools or you know, make fun of us. But understand that we were too once thinking that Christianity was foolish and folly. But Lord, you, you saw to it to save us, redeem us, transform us, give us a new heart, give us a new mind, and give us your spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Empower us, bless us. In Christ's name, amen.